0: alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Sianna Stewart. Sianna produces and hosts Dying Kindness, a podcast for people who are going to die someday. The goal is to help people make decisions now in order to be kinder to those that they leave behind. She wrote an article about dying kindly for greater good science, which I read weekly. And on her podcast, she explains that she's an expert in being curious. Welcome to ROG, Sianna. Thank you so much. I'm very glad to be here. I'm grateful that you're here too, and really look forward to exploring this topic that is something all of us, I think, can relate to, but maybe an unconventional way of looking at generosity in the workplace. So before we dig into it, give us a little background. Absolutely. I
1: joke about the fact that, yes, I my expertise is that I am uh, curious, but also my complete qualification for running this podcast is that I'm going to die. And that is, sort of forthrightness is something that I think that we're missing overall. And this all came about when my father was very ill for many years. And he he died um, after an extended illness, which included dementia. And I had a stepmother who the two of us were the primary people in the last few weeks, along with my stepbrother, who's a doctor. Um, and The entire process was just so incredibly stressful. And I watched how the impact it had on my stepmother. Um, And I was pushing my father to, you know, show me where this is. Do you have your will together? All of that kind of stuff. And he was really uncomfortable in so many ways with having this conversation. And when, but then he assured me, he was like, don't worry, you know, I've got it together. It's all fine. Um, And then when he died, we found out that it really wasn't at all together. I suddenly realized that if I were to get hit by a truck on I-5 on my way home, that I was also leaving behind a mess and I didn't have my act together either. And so I sort of stepped down some of my self-righteousness and started to think about the need for for me to take care of this. Um, And especially knowing as I do how many people die unexpectedly or young, or, you know, it's not about waiting until you get old. This is for everybody. And so I I started telling people that I was going to do my paperwork. And, you know, if anybody wanted to join me, because it's easier to do it As groups. And then I ended up uh, having a group form around me. And then I was like, I should just start this podcast that I've been wanting to do for a really long time. And so then out of that came dying kindness. And the whole mission is to inspire people to make those decisions now, because if you think about the impact that your death will have on the people that you leave behind, the people that you say that you love, then, you know, you want that, to be as
0: good an experience as it can be in a really bad circumstance. Absolutely. And and I've listened to your podcast, which is excellent. And one of the things that you talk about is that the reason why we don't like to talk about death is because we look at it personally, like our own death. But you're saying, how about the people around you? Exactly what you just said. And, and what effect is that going to have? So the generous thing to do is to think about how are we impacting people much like we do throughout the rest of our day, hopefully anyway.
1: Exactly. So much of how we think about it, all of the language in just about everywhere you read about, you know, people say you have to get it together. You know, you think about what is my legacy? What do I want for my body and all of this? But you're not the one who's going to have to be implementing it. You know, it is all about the people who are left behind and they want to get some clarity. So even if people are like, I can't decide and I'm really uncomfortable or I don't want to think about my own death. Well, that's just as far as I'm concerned, that's just offloading the discomfort onto the people that you love.
0: Yes, and a a new perspective, a new way to look at this. So what are some ways that you have experienced generosity either in the workplace or from other people or ways that you have witnessed generosity?
1: One of the things when you are looking directly at death and dying is to be super aware of the toll that it can take. And it's the fact, especially that, you know, in the, the best of worlds, we're all living very long. And that generally comes along with it That there's some illness, there's going to be some difficulties, maybe disabilities, that also you may be taking care of somebody who's living a long time. And that all takes a toll that I think that we radically underestimate in our culture. And we have um, provisions and understandings in the workplace for people who have, uh, who've gotten pregnant, who have small children. There's a way that we have some forgiveness around that. And, you know, especially um, as more, two or more parent families come into the, the workplace, then we have to have that sort of consideration for People who, when their kids get sick or they have to, you know, do a school thing or whatever. But we don't really have that same language for how to take care of an uh, elder person or a disabled person or somebody who's currently sick and who is not your child. And also if yourself yourself. How do you actually admit, you know, we, we have a very strong ethic against admitting weakness, against admitting things like failure in the workplace. And all of that comes to play in our discomfort and our unwillingness to recognize how much impact it, it has to, to be caring for another
0: person. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And I know you've also studied the neuroscience of grieving. So on that point, when we have lost a loved one, what effect does that have on the employee, on the talent themselves?
1: Yeah. Before I get started, I just want to clarify that I'm not a neuroscientist. I just want to be one when I grow up. So I just read a lot of different documents and I listen to um, experts in the field. And the When I've asked different, very esteemed neuroscientists about grief, the best explanation that they can have is that it's really, it has all of the same markers as stress. People who are grieving are, of course, understudied. It's a really, you know, it's not really a great time to say like, hey, somebody just died. Can you just please come and sit in my studio and I'm just going to put wires on your head? So there's not a lot of direct evidence, but the actual understanding of what happens in your brain is that it's this it's very similar to when you get super 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 stressed and the what happens is you are not able to make decisions as well you end up with some pretty extreme brain fog you can get disoriented um there's a there's a certainly a risk of depression and so then all of the the markers that go along with depression which also is you know it suppresses creativity it suppresses you know a lot of motivation and, and all of that. And the thing that I think is under understood in our culture is the idea that Grief, there's no time limit on it. You know, there's also been a misunderstanding um, with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work where they talk about the five stages of grief. People think about that as if it's a linear pattern and you're supposed to be going through it as stages when actually it's a lot more like going through some kind of like freaking pinball machine. You don't know what's going to hit you. It's going to bounce off to something else. Anything can trigger a new thing. And grief can also resurface many years later. And just because of, you know, running across a letter in the attic or you know see, bumping into somebody on the subway that looks like your your loved person there's nothing wrong with it there's actually everything right with it the reason that you're grieving is because you loved somebody and for us to be uncomfortable with that and to, to resist it and to deny it is actually to deny somebody's love for another person and to deny somebody the hope for the future that they thought they were going to have that they no longer have. And so there's a way that we need to have a space in our in ourselves as well as in our workplaces, which, as I know you say, is made of, of people it's just people at a workplace it's not factory robots you know our our robots aren't going to grieve um but our people are and so we have to have
0: some some way to be able to talk about it and some way to have some space for that absolutely that's so important and 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 to help listeners understand that there is this neurobiology of grief that it's normal and expected and healthy actually to have this kind of a response to significant loss even even loss of someone who you don't know that well but you feel the sense of loss Um, i have a very close friend who just lost his wife right before the holidays age 45 years old very instantly Um, she was fine one day and gone the next and he said that he went back to work soon after they had done the arrangements and got the kids situated And then he said, I can't do this. I'm I can't think I can't make decisions. And thankfully, his employer is really understanding and said, take the time that you need. But not everyone works for employers like that. So I'm curious to know, like, as leaders, how can we be more mindful and thoughtful like my friend's boss when somebody loses a loved one. And then really just as humans, how can we be more compassionate and kind when we're witnessing either personally or when a colleague loses someone that they love?
1: Mm -hmm. I can completely relate to your friend going right back to work because that's always my impulse. And it's it's something that many of us do to bury our feelings. But in the workplace, that can be misunderstood as, you know, oh, they're fine. And it's not actually that they're fine. It's that they're using work as a distraction in, you know, so many ways. And some people will drink. Some people will Netflix binge. Some people will go for like the longest run in the world. Some people will abruptly quit and then just, you know, do whatever, and just lie around or change their life entirely. And then some people will go back to work. And I think that... As leaders, we need to plan ahead for that in the same way that we plan ahead for somebody getting married or somebody getting pregnant as an eventuality that changes things that actually is something that we have contingency plans for that. And I think that in general, if we can stop valuing people as indispensable, irreplaceable and start valuing them as unique and wonderful and still human and potentially breakable that you will be able to to plan ahead to have that uh, backup plan, backup people, a way of keeping the show going. You know, the show must go on for sure, but it doesn't mean that we need to like smash everybody along the way. You know, once again, I'm going to say this, you don't work for factories with run by robots. These are, these are people and things happen, you know, and, I think, especially in the middle of the pandemic, we've seen that we have to rethink so many things and like, you don't know what's gonna happen in the world. We never know, <laughs> but, and there's all there's a, a, so many different ways to do just about anything. And I, we just have to plan
0: for that. <laughs> when we come back, Sian will share about establishing a resilient workplace and how setbacks can be bonding opportunities. Introducing the brand new QuadPod podcast network. At QuadPod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you. When you visit quadpod.com, you'll see our shows listed by category as well as average episode length. Find a new podcast at QODPOD.com, the QuadPod Podcast Network. That's QODPOD.com. And we're back with more from thought leader, author, podcast host of Dying Kindness, Siana Stewart. It's another thing that we should consider how people can either even take vacation time. Many people don't take time off because they don't think that anyone else can cover for them while they're gone. So I think that that thoughtfulness and that proactivity around how can we all work together so that all this pressure doesn't just reside on a select few.
1: Absolutely. I think we can take a lot of lessons from many of the more physical fields because they have to plan for if somebody gets injured on the job and that sort of thing. I mean, this is this is another way of thinking about the resilience of your actual workplace. As well, So we have a lot of talk about resilience of individuals and there's, you know, for good and bad, sometimes a little abused, um, you know, talking about how people need to be resilient. And I joke about like, yeah, and it would also be nice to not have anything to have to be resilient to, you know, you want to just, you don't always want to be smacked around and prove that you can actually take it. But if we can think about what, how can we make a resilient workplace? How can we make it so that, you know, or maybe even anti-fragile is something that if it breaks, the, the team gets stronger, that they actually, you know, one person is going through something super, super hard. How can you turn that into something that actually bonds everybody together and is something that helps to say, look, we can do this together. And, and that is, that's who we are. There's so many opportunities, especially many workplaces, um, especially uh, corporate ones that, you know, office spaces, they offer long-term disability as one of the things that you can sign up for. How extensive are the conversations about what that means? What does long-term disability cover? You know, does it actually, is it something that somebody is going to resist Taking advantage of just because of the way that they're going to be perceived as like weak or unable to do their job, or you know, I, you know, we generally have to have a, a better conversation about supporting people with disabilities in the workplace. But one of the windows that's a natural place for um, for a business to actually have this conversation get started is during your your healthcare sign up and your insurance sign up windows. That's, that's a time when we shouldn't necessarily just talk about like, you know, how many dollars this is and what is the window of, you know, whatever registration, but it's, but it's actually a time that we can talk about like, when would you use this? What is this for? Who, who has used this in the past to what extent? Um, How do we as a company support people going through hard things?
0: I've heard on your podcast that most Americans die without a will and they don't have an advanced yeah. directive. So if if we could open up those conversations to those who are willing to participate in them to just activate the curiosity of, well, what would I do and what would I need so that you're really caring for the whole person start to finish? Yeah,
1: actually. And something that just popped into my mind when you said that is how awesome would it be to have a conversation at the workplace to say, if somebody suddenly gets like knocked on the head is and is unconscious, let's, you know, we're just incapacitated. So you're not even dead. You're just incapacitated. What is our next, uh, phone tree? Like who needs to know and, and who is stepping in. And that is a solid conversation that you should have at a workplace, you know, and it would be a great way to start that conversation as well. We spend so many hours at work and we have, you know, our work families and and all of this, but we don't really necessarily treat them as family. And we don't necessarily have a space for things to get tough. You know, we say, well, that's for after work over drinks. Is it? Is that the only time that you feel? Like I, as far as I'm concerned, like when you have an emotion, you actually have it all the time. You know, I think (laughs) that's, and that compartmentalizing is not healthy for anyone over the long term. And that is contributes to a stress buildup in your body, you know, and that if you want to just get down to it, like you build up that stress in your body, that cortisol takes a toll and it actually causes an increased like likelihood that you're going to get heart disease. And so you're actually creating the situation in which somebody is actually going to become more disabled in the future or actually have a heart attack and die, um as well as so many other things. I mean, cortisol is like that's argh, the nemesis of the universe. um but the the idea that we can do things that help us release it that, Maybe boost the oxytocin, which is a nice protector um, in our bodies that make us feel connected to each other, that strengthen our ties. Also, so that we don't get, you know, we don't die alone. That we we have these incredible connections to people. Once you retire, can you maintain those connections? Are they real friendships? Are they friendships that last? through, you know, through time. And the workplaces also are multi-generational. That's a great opportunity for somebody to stay curious, to keep their mind going. So that, you know, when they retire, they still they still care about the people who are there and mm-hmm. and they feel more alive.
0: Mm, that's so beautiful. And I think that's also a sign of, you know, the benefits of generosity is that that connection to other people and the hormones that that releases and that those hormones actually end up protecting us. So it's really for, for our own good and our own health benefits for us to be really in connection with other people. I completely agree with that. You know, the word legacy comes to mind and, you know, how what kind of impact do I want to make? Yep. And that leads me to, you have a really interesting sideline project, I think you might call it, is the No Complaining Project. And in there, you have a manifesto, which I will include in the show notes, and everybody's got to take a look at this. But one of the things in the manifesto, straight in the middle, it says, we recognize and respect (laughs) the impact we have on others. I think that's reflected in both your dying kindness. A lot of the things that you're talking about is that I recognize and respect that I impact other people. So talk to me a little bit about the No Complaining Project. Yes,
1: this is another one that came out of a personal experience where I realized that my life was going super well, but I basically hadn't noticed because I was so cranky about something that had happened to me the year before. And, you know, it had completely overwhelmed me. um, And I was just uh, complaining a lot, you know, can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So I wouldn't say anything which left me hearing other people complaining all the time. And then I was like, okay, now I'm super curious. And my nerd brain just went over time. And I just started reading everything inside about, you know, communicating and relating and complaining and blah, blah, blah. Um, And I realized that actually, you know, this is where I started to get really tapped into this, the impact of cortisol on our systems because um, complaining uh, the The psychological definition of rumination is basically exactly the way that we talk about complaining in the common culture where you're talking about something over and over again um, in a negative fashion without looking for a solution and you also can't see your way to a solution. The overall goal of the No Complaining Project is to move people from complaining to taking action even if that action is walking away. And it's a really powerful thing that ultimately transformed my life and transformed many other people. Cause I've now been on that, uh, doing that for over a decade and it has been incredible to say, wait, I am actually have some agency here and what I say impacts other people and what I do impacts other people. And how can I live my life in a way that is conscious of that? And also, I don't, I am not um, a victim of my world. I am somebody who actually, like, how can I take some power and make changes here? And we just say, all right, now, given that that's the situation, what can I do with it? Ah
0: so helpful. And for those who this really resonates with, which I would imagine is everyone, you have a book that you just launched called No Complaints, How to Stop Sabotaging Your Own Joy. That's correct. (laughs) By Sienna Stewart. So I will send a link to that as well in the show notes and the link to the No Complaining Project where you can sign up for the blog. And you've got so many interesting resources on here. So I just want our listeners to have access to that so every guest shares a favorite quote, a mantra, a life motto, and yours is, this too shall pass, which could be attributed to King Solomon or Persian folklore or Abraham Lincoln. But what, what does this too shall pass say to you, Sienna?
1: It's a reminder to me that whatever is happening right now is going to not be true at some point in the future. And that is a, you know, for when you're actually having a struggle to be able to remind yourself that this is not always going to be this way. This is going to end in some way. But it's also a reminder to me when things are going really great, that this also is not going to last forever. And so what it does is it reminds me in those moments that are fantastic or that feel really, really great, it reminds me to take it in to fully be present in the moment because this is not going to last. It's not going to be like this forever. And I also can't clutch to it. You know, it's like, even if I cling to it, like it's it's it'll just evaporate at some point, you know, Um, and then when it's really, really hard, it's a way for me to be able to say, yes, I can be present with this hard thing right now and it's not going to last. You know, there's a future in which this moment doesn't exist. There's a future in which I don't exist. There's a future in which this rock doesn't exist. Uh, And and so there's a way that it gets me super grounded.
0: So helpful for us to hear you say that. That's such a great reminder for us to hear because this too shall pass. sounds so simple to say, but as you unpack it and explain what it means to you and for us to really be present and in the moment, because that's the only thing that's real anyway, right? So thank you, Sienna, for the really interesting and creative ways that you have helped us to look at both kindness and dying and generosity in a new way today.
1: Thank you very much, Dan, And this has been a really wonderful conversation. And I've also loved your line of questioning on all of this. I very much appreciate this podcast and the community that you're building and the fact that you want to bring generosity as a main focus into the workplace and into our lives overall. So um, more power to you with what you're doing here. And thank you so much for inviting me.
0: ROG Takeaway Tip How to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Siana shared considerations, perspectives, and advice on how we can be kind, even after we're gone. This content may be very challenging for some of us to hear. You may be mourning the loss of a loved one, caring for someone who is ill or injured, or contemplating what it will be like when you pass. All of these considerations are difficult to talk about and think about. For those experiencing personal loss, I am sincerely sorry for your loss. As discussed in this episode, the pain you feel is the result of loving deeply. And the only thing that really matters is love. Some workplace takeaways. I love when Sianna said that we should stop valuing people as indispensable and irreplaceable and start valuing them as unique, wonderful, human, and potentially breakable. In your workplace, consider how to establish a backup plan. Backup people and a way of keeping the show going. Your talent can then take vacation, time off, and care for and grieve their loved ones. We can create a safe space for people to talk to us about what's happening in their lives and the kind of support they need. In this way, we can appreciate the fullness of their lives. We can, quote unquote, break the rules, as we've heard in several episodes on ROG, like Wade Thomas in episode 57. Think, Who is someone in your workplace, whether you're responsible for them or not, who you can support in a more meaningful way? They are committed, dedicated talent. They know the rules and want to obey them. And they're managing a heavy load and perhaps an unexpected circumstance. Work with them to alleviate some of the pressure that they feel. Leveraging generosity can help find a solution together. As a practical matter, Set up emergency contact information on your mobile phone. I've added a link to the show notes so you can look up the type of phone that you have and how to add your personal information and assign emergency contacts. This is the simplest thing that we could do now to help those who may need to help us if something unexpected happens. So how can we be kind even after we're gone? We will share an additional piece of content recorded with Siana on our YouTube page please see the show notes for a link. It will be up shortly. One thing you'll hear in the additional audio is detailed information about what you can prepare now to help those who love you when you pass. This part of the takeaway tip may feel overwhelming, so consider this a warning. I have a resource called Peace of Mind Planner. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Whatever you use, be it your own or a planner that you buy, it's important to capture information like medical information, key contacts, the type of arrangements you'd like, dependents and instructions for their care, documents like license, passport, birth certificates, financial information like power of attorney, bank accounts, credit cards, and beneficiaries, information about property, insurance, pets, what to pay, close, or cancel, email and social media contact information, and much, much more that feels overwhelming, right? Because it is. So let's not leave all of those daunting details to the loved ones who will be left to figure it out while they're mourning. Generous leaders are generous in obvious and private ways. Imagine giving the people you love one last gift, peace, space to grieve, the comfort of knowing what you want so they don't have to guess and hope that they're getting it right for you. It's one of the last pleasant surprises that you can offer them. Like Sianna said, often we don't want to talk about our own death because we're thinking of ourselves. But what if we thought of others, like we always do on ROG instead? That changes things. So after you've had a chance to decompress all of this, invest some of your time thinking about dying kindness. It will be part of your generous legacy. Next week's guest is Michael Hudson. Please join us. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Until next week, stay generous and kind, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we
1: give.